it is scary. But if we didn't have this sense for connection, then that would be the worst. What is up, everybody? And welcome back to the Schooling Struggle Podcast. It is our belief that the only guarantee in life is that we are all going to struggle and how we choose to embrace our struggles is what empowers us to become the best versions of ourselves. My name is Pete, coming to you from Heartland, Vermont, and with me is my friend and co-host, Todd T-Rex Ellis. What's up, Todd? What's happening, Peter? Got well, my vacuum cleaner working for me. You're so excited about the vacuum. I am right, excited. Right before we hit record, Todd was showing me on his, on his phone that his vacuum cleaner was in full cleaning mode and he's just grinning from ear to ear so yeah i love that good use of technology there yeah there you go hey a third voice chiming in from the chief seats i want to introduce mr john castle and the rule for the podcast is that no current students of mine can come on the pod but once i graduate it's fair game and i really really wanted john c to be the first alumni to jump on the podcast with us and have an awesome conversation so Without further ado, even though we've heard his voice, what's up, John C.? What's up, Peter? Um, uh, my name's John Castle. I am also from Vermont, Vermont native. And uh, I recently graduated Hartford High School. And I'm excited to be going to WPI in the fall. And yeah, WPI, Worcester Polytechnic Institute. It's just a college in Worcester, Mass. Um, yeah. Pretty excited. I'm going to be an engineer, if anyone asked. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, what type of engineering are you interested in studying? Probably mechanical. So, yeah. So Good. mechanical engineers d- build and design what? Uh, so we're doing stress analysis on, um, like, we could do structural components of airplanes or bridges. And it's basically, like, what materials to use. And um, from what I understand, you know, the design around something like that. So has nothing to do with what we're talking today about. Um, well, could be. There could be some technology <laughs> stuff in never there. Know. Yeah. When I, I'm going to share. Yeah. When I was in, uh, when I attended high school for a minute, I uh, <laughs> it was one of my most fondest memories, high school actually. In 10th grade, we had um, an applied science kind of woodworking slash metalworking slash um, auto mechanic shop. And there was a teacher there who was uh, an engineer, a uh, uh, structural engineer, I think. I'm not sure if they're a different discipline or not. And we had to build a, a suspension bridge out of nothing but glue and quarter inch by quarter inch square stock and see whose would hold the most weight. And I did not win, but there were some amazing, amazing bridge designs in there. And I, when you said that, I thought, oh, yeah, bridge testing. I've, I've seen that happen. So, yeah, go forth and build strong bridges, John C. I was curious uh, in asking you about um, what your perspectives on technology are and, you know, how you've evolved with technology and the impacts that technology and social media and all these things we have now have had on your life and comparing that to mine, because obviously I'm a lot younger. I'm a tech native. So I wanted, I wanted John C to be the first former student of mine to come on the show. And we've been planning and kind of having informal conversations for a while about what we talk about when he came on. And and I just said, what do you want to talk about? And he sent me a nice lengthy list a week or two ago of all these really cool different topics. And I said, I would love to, dive down deep with all of those but really one show will probably just be one of the topics which one would you like to pick and exactly what he just said he said i'm fascinated by the fact that technology kind of plays a role in everyone's life and i'm curious to know how it plays a role in your life and todd's life and and comparing it to mine and uh, john could speak a little bit more to this but he um is a very humble human being and he won't bring up the fact that he's accomplished some really, really cool things in his time on this earth. So I'll, I'll bring it up for him. But I know just from the outside looking in, I've, I know that he's built a computer. I know that he's built a 3D printer. Didn't you build like a Bluetooth speaker that yeah. like, had wheels yeah. on it? Yeah, I, I built a portable Bluetooth speaker out of like a bunch of um, uh, speakers from the Listen Center and uh, some car parts. So, yeah. It'll knock your ears out if you're if you're wondering. <laughs> the Listen Center up here is a thrift shop. Yeah, I just think it, it'd be a really cool conversation. We got to talking on the on John's porch the other day when I went over to drop off the microphone, and we started to kind of head down a rabbit hole of what I thought was really conversation good conversation. I was like, uh, we need to put a stop to this so we can have it organically over the microphones. So, and the last thing I'll say before we kind of launch into it is just what we shared about John. He's 
you know, grew up with the internet and tech has been an integral part of his life since coming out of the womb where not so much for me and not so much for Todd, but Todd has immersed into a career that is really tech heavy working for um, Microsoft, one of the tech giants. And I'm really curious to know the different perspectives we have on this. I feel like Todd and I often will bad mouth technology and particularly cell phones. Um, but just like in the last episode or two, when Todd was talking about how much he's loving his automated vacuum and how it's changed his life. Um, Go Robo. Yeah, we can take it anywhere you want, John. Why don't you go ahead and just kind of lead off the conversation or uh, whatever whatever tickles your fancy. Yeah, so um, I was wondering, We I just went on a trip um, with my girlfriend and we you know, use technology a lot when you're traveling. And I was wondering how like you used to travel specifically. I've already talked a little bit to Mr. D about this, but um, I was wondering about your perspective on this, Todd, because he was telling me something about Disney and how you had to book out stuff. And it's pretty interesting. So, yeah. So I was just telling him that uh, I went to the Disney in the eighties. And recently <laughs> I said to my mom, how did you book a trip to Disney world in the eighties? And she said, Oh, well, Disney world had a phone number and you'd call up and they'd send you a catalog of all the different hotels and you'd read through the catalog and you'd choose which hotel you wanted, and then you'd call a travel agent, and a travel agent would call Disney and book the trip for you, and all these different things. And I was like, man, I can't even like imagine planning a trip at this point without the internet or some form of technology. And uh, yeah, so yeah. That, that's what kind of set the stage for the conversation tonight. It's funny when I think back, like I try to wrap my head around it, but it's it's become so distant now, especially because I didn't like I would have never called a travel agent back when travel when you had to do that. You know what I mean? So I think the the contrast between um, perhaps John's lived experience with tech for a majority of his life and our introduction and then adoption or or, or distancing thereof from tech, I think um, is it's it'll get better as as I go. But it's hard to wrap my head around like the manual functions of, of what life used to be like when now you just jump on the internet and go for it. Right. Like that's, so, that's so different. Um, but the, but I, I think the question was, uh, Peter probably travels a lot more than I do. Guaranteed he's been to way more countries than me, but, um, what exactly was the question? <laughs> oh, it was, um, like, what do you, what do you, how has tech changed how you travel, I guess. And even like maps, like Google maps, yeah. I use almost every time I'm going more than like four hours away from home. And so without the use of Google maps, um, I don't know. I don't know how well I would be going with a, with a paper map. One of those things that folds up. Yeah. There was even more extensive app. Thomas guides were like the way to go in the end of maps. Um, it, I think that it, for me, it's definitely changed my life. Like uh, I use maps religiously now and it's almost, it almost, I feel like sometimes um, it make it enriches Go ahead. When you say maps, you're referring to Google Maps. M maps on a phone. So uh, yeah, my I, iPhone maps. I don't know what they call them these days, but um, or like ways, but applications that um, that are uh, what do you call it? Geographic um, assistance, I suppose you could say. When, when you say you use maps, or I'm just saying you don't use paper maps. Like when you I do not to, use paper. Yeah, maps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is absolutely true. <laughs> um, but uh, but like I think that I think there's something to um, getting lost and finding your way. Like if you go to a town you don't know anything about. And you get lost. You're gonna you're gonna pick up a lot more nuance, I think, of the places you, that you resonate with than you would if you're just like, oh, I'm in Minneapolis. I need to go get a, a sandwich. Like it's just, it's just transactional. But I think it, it's more rich if you if you have to go um, have to go and explore. But it's it's definitely um, it's. I, but I think there's benefits to it as well. Like. Um, crowdsource traffic is, is fantastic. Like, oh, don't go over there because there's this traffic jam. Well, I would have never known that had I not had the application and not many people had been using it, you know, so I think there's ups and downs. But um, as far as travel goes, I couldn't imagine, you know, not being able to book a flight online. I don't even know what that would be like. Like Peter was saying, like, if I want to go to a cruise, I don't know how to get the connections. Like, I feel like it would just be more, um, more laborious if you if we didn't have technology in that aspect. Hmm. So, so kind of the discovery is, is a integral part to when you, when you don't have technology. And I definitely can see that because, um, on our trip, we, uh, lost cell phone connection <laughs> and, and we were like, all right, we don't know where to go. And so we end up talking to a bunch of locals to find, um, our, the house that we were staying in and it ended up being a really fun adventure. And, um, and, you know, it was, it was harder than just going on Google maps, but we, we got to kind of experience the culture in a, in a different yeah. way and interact with different people that we wouldn't have seen if we we hadn't 
um, you know, use Google Maps or use any other map apps. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny I with technology too. It's like the add-ons that come with it. Like, say I'm in a different country where I don't speak that language. Suddenly, I have a translator in my pocket. Right where before, I just bumble my way through have, trying to have a conversation just to find the bathroom. Right, and then there's also a layer. I remember when we went to London. Um, and I didn't, my cell phone, like you had to do all these functions to get your cell phone to work there on a different carrier. And I remember like the amount of anxiety thinking to myself, I'm not gonna be able to find my way around here, or I won't be able to have a rich experience, you no, know, like navigating all the different spots because I can't have my cell phone. So I think there's, there's negatives and positives to weigh, you know, just in the fact that I was like, this is, this has to be our first thing. And it, it didn't really have to be, but I was, I was so tied up to having that, that it just became like this, you know, this sort of deal. So. Yeah. Now, now as a parent, having the perspective uh, that's changed since I have become a parent is really fascinating. So my very first international trip was to Brazil. My college roommate is fr- was from Brazil and I went and stayed in a very affluent situation. And um, and that was that. And that kind of opened my eyes to international travel. And then what the next or t- one of the next big trips I did was a two just over two month backpack of Europe. And this was pre-internet. This was pre, this was like, I didn't bring a digital camera on this trip. It was just like an old school camera with film. And I like, you know, humped around me wherever I went. And um, just the fact that, like I said to my parents, all right, I'm peacing out. I'm going to Europe. Uh, I'll call you when I call you. And they had no clue what country I was in. They had no clue where I was. They had no way of contacting me if I was ever like abducted. Nobody would ever know what happened to me. And now it's just like parents can just stay so in touch with their kids and to the point where you can look on a map and see where that kid's phone is at all times. And I just think that's that's so different. Like my parents just kind of putting their trust in me to just go over there and make smart decisions. And I, I could I could spend the rest of tonight talking and just giving examples about, you know, hairy or sketchy situations that I was in and you just kind of have to work your way through them. And I it's definitely a biased point of view for sure, John, but I f- I'm so grateful that i grew up pre-internet uh, for so many reasons, but the travel was so different and so adventurous and um, you'd get to a town and like you couldn't have pre-booked anything. So like you walk around from hostel to hostel and see who has beds. And then you say to the hostel owner, where's a good place to eat? And they'd recommend a place down the street. And there wasn't, you know, any of these TripAdvisor or an- anything like you just kind of had to figure it out. And I'm grateful for that. And then the other thing that I just wanted to add, and this is kind of related to travel, but um, this happened to me a number of times as I'd, I'd say to my friends who lived in Boston, I didn't live in Boston. So it was a two hour ride for me to get to Boston. I'd be like, all right, let's meet on the corner of this street and this street. So I'd be driving through Boston with maps in my lap by myself, looking down, looking up, like so sketchy, trying to find the places to turn off Commonwealth Ave. And if you've ever driven in Boston, you know, like every other street is a one way. And if you follow all the traffic rules of Boston, you're never going to get to where you need to go. So you have to like make U-turns in places you're not supposed to make U-turns and take left-hand turns. You're not supposed to take left-hand turns. And then you finally find the corner and you can't find a parking spot. So you have to park two miles away from the parking spot. You you park with your maps, you're walking through the city, You've, you finally get to the corner, but there's no way of communicating with your friend. So maybe they're two hours late for whatever reason, or maybe something happened and they couldn't come at all. And there's no like just quick t- t- text to check to see where you are and see when they're going to be there. Like I I had an instance where I was, I was dating a girl who lived in uh, the Netherlands and I went, she was doing a, a study abroad. And before I left, she's like, all right, when you get off the plane, get your baggage and there's a big Heineken sign and I'll meet you underneath the Heineken sign. Perfect. So I got my bags, I went under the Heineken sign and I waited and waited and waited and waited and she never showed up. And I was like, what is going on? And then I look kind of down the corridor and there's like 15 Heineken signs. So I just go underneath each Heineken sign. I finally found her and I was like, oh, you're under this Heineken sign? I was under that Heineken sign. So it's little stuff like that that's like what like maybe minor inconveniences now that were like a major big deal then. And I think if nothing else, the, the technology saves time while traveling and makes it more efficient, but it also takes a lot of decision making out of the process, which is kind of the beauty of the the challenge or the journey. Yeah, like even with TripAdvisor, which you mentioned, like all the all the people are going to the same restaurant and experiencing the same thing. Whereas if you just walk around and kind of ask ask locals or ask whoever what the best places are, then and I guess that that would probably be a better alternative because you're actually experiencing what the locals like and how how to that's like how to embrace the culture really. So yeah, yeah. I agree with you that on that. And um, I was wondering. Because I know, Todd, you mentioned, like, I don't even remember before 
um, tech came around, like it's just always been going to my phone or going to the laptop. And so I was wondering, Mr. D, do you think that um, you are now essentially a tech native where you can navigate and and you have no troubles with you know technology and um do you remember a time where you didn't have technology or you couldn't figure out a technology yeah very clearly i remember growing up without it the first time i ever used the internet and used email was my senior year of high school right at the very end i graduated high school in 1996 and i'd never used the internet uh, prior to that time, some kids that I knew had AOL. You can Google that if you want, and they charged. They they yeah, you're from Vermont, you know AOL. Uh, they charged by the minute, so it was like this big deal to go online, and like your like the parents would be looking over your shoulders, like, "Hey, get up! You've been on there for a half an hour. That's ten dollars. Get off there!" And it was like really expensive. So there was that, and then in my my English class, my teacher kind of showed it to us, uh, but I didn't really know. And then I went to college that following after I graduated from high school and I, it was my first time I ever used, like set up an email account and had an email account. And I just thought it was the coolest thing. I could go on there and email my friends that were at different schools and like wait for their responses. And then I'd go check my email at the computer lab. I'd, like you didn't have like laptops or certainly not, there wasn't any email or internet on any phones. And it was just kind of, it was kind of an exciting time. And I think for me, I, I'm a, I'm a Luddite in a way. And a Luddite is someone who kind of resists technology because I feel like it, it really takes away from personal connection in many ways. And that bothers me. It bothers me that I have a class of students and when class starts, they're all on their phones instead of like making connections and talking with one another and getting to know the kid who's sitting next to them in a class. Like I have a hard time with that. So I feel like I'm on both sides of the fence to answer your question, John. Like I definitely remember life without it. Um, it's, it's, it's ingrained in my life now and I try to use it in ways that are positive, but I struggle with it not just like technologically speaking, like I need help with stuff and I certainly do, but I also struggle with if we're giving our life over to something. To me, it doesn't matter what it is. If it's caffeine, alcohol, technology, whatever that thing is, once that starts to kind of have precedence over a lot of our decision-making in our, in our day and our actions, I think that's a scary thing regardless of what it is. And I think technology, basically our culture is completely cool with it just kind of being this wave to come in and like take over our lives in a way. I know it sounds kind of too far, but that's kind of the way I feel. So you said it was kind of like a culture thing. So not necessarily that technology because like over the years, we've had several different things that could have been, you know, um, like you could have gotten fully absorbed in them. Like, like you can have addictions to anything really. Whereas the culture is, it's okay to be addicted to like, you know, social media or like, you know, it's fine to scroll on TikTok for like two hours and, and stuff like that, which, which I don't know if um, all the kids my age would necessarily say that's true, but I like, would you, would, do you think that, so I have students that will contend that the, the phone and the social media apps actually makes them more connected and has, and is better for their social being than if it were not in place. Yeah, but sometimes you just you you see like you have fear of missing out. It's called FOMO now. Um, but it's like you know you see what everyone's doing and it's overwhelming because you wish you could have been to that party and and that stems a whole a whole thing of jealousy and and stuff like that. So uh, like a large amount of awareness can be good because you can see like if somebody's hanging out at the rope swing and you wanted to go down there but you didn't want to go without a friend that's great because now you can meet at the rope swing but you know if everyone else is invited to a party you're you're not invited to and you don't know where it is then there's no way you know you're going to that party and you have fear of you know missing out on the party and you're kind of just sitting there like oh i could have been to that party but i i can't go i wasn't invited so i think that's always been a thing though right like i remember getting invited to parties or not getting invited to parties and it was like, man, I wish I could go, but I didn't get the invite, right? It wasn't that I didn't have a tool to get it. It's maybe I didn't have the right friends or the right connections. So it's kind of the same. But um, going back to one of the things that you said early on um, that kind of struck me that I, what I was going to comment on was um, when you said you, uh, you and your girlfriend traveled and you, and you lost your cell service. I think what's I think what's really cool, looking from my perspective, and I don't want to over at yours, not back at yours, but over at yours, is that you now have the ability 
to decide if you don't want to do it, right? Like you're like, oh, now I can see that there's actually something that's a little bit richer here. And it comes through that awareness piece, right? Like, oh, what what would happen if I experimented with this if I didn't have this? And then you can go out, you can go out and do it, but you still have the safety net to go back and not have to be stuck somewhere where you don't know where you're at. So I think that's really a really cool thing too. Definitely. Like to add on to that, um, so we chose not to get like cell cell phone plans in in france because partly because we were on a budget but also because we we wanted to be present we wanted to be there yeah um and you know we we did have to use resources but additionally i think you mentioned this awareness part where you know i have to be aware of whether i want the tech or i don't and i think that's a key a key thing that we have to realize by being aware of what you're doing it's way easier to change like that's the first step to change so i think maybe just awareness around how much you're using it a day and um the effects of of that on you for sure yeah, awareness creates intention and t- intention creates action you can't have one without the previous yeah so we were sitting around one day in block five john knows what this is but at the end of our school day there's block five and any student who's not in great epic academic standing can be called by a teacher to come to that teacher's classroom and make up work that they missed make up a test or quiz that they missed and any kid who's in good academic standing is welcome to go uh, where they'd like in the building and juniors and seniors can leave campus at that time. Wow. And I have a group of ninth graders that came and spent block five with me uh, every day. And these were kids that were in good academic standing and they weren't called to another room. So it's kind of like a study and, hall, but you could, yeah, you, could, but, you could be called out though. Yeah, but okay. it, you, it wouldn't have to be silent. didn't have to be academic. Yeah, like yeah, you yeah. could hang out and talk. Also, often I would bring the kids outside and we'd play spike ball. Cool. And one of the days, one of the kids goes, yo, he goes, everyone pull out their phone. There was probably about eight kids in the room, all ninth graders. And he says, all right, open up, open up your phone and let's look to see what your screen time average been in the last seven, seven days. And they're all going around like, oh, they're like, oh, you know, six and a half hours, seven and a half hours. And this one girl goes, I'm too embarrassed. I don't want to read mine. And we go, no, no, read it. We're cool. And she goes, my phone says my average hours per day for the last week is 15 and a half hours of screen time on her phone. Yeah. And even and her friends, even their jaws dropped. They're like, even for a ninth grader, like that was a lot. And and that's what that's what makes me nervous is I, I think the cell phone for many kids has become oxygen. Like they it, it's they they don't have the ability to function without it. Yeah. And John, you are a very, very rare breed, in my opinion. And I think that you have the awareness to decide to turn it on and off. I don't think a lot of kids have that. Like I don't have the choice whether to breathe or not. I just breathe. I feel like the cell phone is like oxygen for many of the young kids today. And that that's what makes me nervous. Mm. But how does one, how does one like, uh, where do you find that awareness? Right. Is that something, that's not something you just stumble across. Like, Oh, look, I'm aware. Like there has to come from your family or something. Right. Yeah. I I guess it was from my family. Um, they've always been pretty strict about my internet usage or, or, um, even, you know, TV usage. And so it, it, when, when I was younger, um, we could only watch TV on Saturday and we could only watch between certain parts of the day. And I remember actually one time I went downstairs, turned the TV on and I thought it was, you know, Saturday, but it was actually um, Monday <laughs> and, <laughs> and my parents come down and they're like, what are you doing? But um, yeah, so I, I, I think it, it trickles down from the parents really. And, making sure that um, you don't get a phone too early because then you just, you become kind of dependent on it early. And then it's like, you've grown up with the phone. Um, Luckily, like I wasn't able to get a phone until my freshman year of high school, which was great because I could still, you know, in sixth and seventh grade, I could still email my friends or I could, um, you know, tell my parents that to use their phone to call them. And, um, and then ninth grade, it, it becomes more like you're, you're gaining independence. So you kind of need your own way of communicating with your friends. Um, but yeah, they've always been kind of strict about phones. And so I think my awareness has generated from them. And um, I think it's, if I was to be a parent, I think I would do the same thing with my, my children. I would probably, you know, limit screen time um, when they were younger and then, um, you know, let them be more independent when they get older, because obviously they're, they're their own person. They have to make their own choices when they grow up. So you might as well start. So, yeah. Jen and I, um, we limit our screen time for our daughter 
um, quite a bit. She watches, she can watch a movie with us on Friday nights and then she watches a 25 minute show on Sunday and that's it. And, um, number of years ago, Jen's dad, uh, when he was still alive, he was, he was sick and we were spending a lot of time at the hospital and LJ was uh, two and a half or three at the time. And we were calling neighbors and friends that could watch her while we were spending, um, lots of hours at the hospital. And I remember I dropped her off at our neighbors one time and I, and there as an elderly couple and they were great. And she walked in and they said, so what, what would you like to do? And she said, Oh, I don't know. I like to play games. And, uh, the, the old gentleman said to her, well, do you want to come over here and watch a movie? And she said to him two and a half years old, she, she looked at him and said, um, I'm only allowed to watch a movie on Friday and today is not Friday. Wow. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. So Jen and I were, really hoping that we won't give her a cell phone until ninth grade. But is that going to socially outcast her in some manner in middle school? Like, will she, will, will her middle school experience be not as fulfilling because we deny her the cell phone? My personal thought is no. Like, I think she'll be fine. But have things changed up so much up to that point where a sixth grader really cannot function? Either you need to for school for assignments for all these things or, or you need it. It, it's such an integral part of the social culture that you can't function without it. And I don't want to outcast her in, in that way. I'm going to say one more thing and then I'll turn it back over to you, John. When I was growing up watching cartoons, I remember all the time the commercials would come on and there was, and I, lived, I grew up in the state of Massachusetts and there was a ton of these um, government supported ads from the state of Massachusetts that were anti-smoking and were really trying to let kids know at an early age, don't smoke, it's not healthy. Don't smoke, it's bad for you, and all these things. And I think I'm a little too far down the road now with the age of my daughter. I think she's going to miss it. But I do believe that I don't know when it's going to happen. In a decade, two decades from now, the research is going to come out on the the destruction that it does uh, for the mental health of kids in phones. And that there's going to be this, we're going to have empirical scientific data that says, don't put phones in kids' hands until whatever age the science shows. Like we knew cigarettes were bad, but we didn't. We didn't start um, doing these public service announcements until we had the science to back it up. We don't have the science to back it up right now, but I can tell you anecdotally, it's it's destroying kids. And um, I think at some point there's going to be this kind of this pushback to getting cell phones in kids' hands, just like smoking was cool. It was part of the culture. You were allowed to do it everywhere and anywhere on planes and restaurants and elevators everywhere. And now that's absurd to even think about that that was allowed because we have the science to back it up. I think that the social media apps are going to be like that maybe 20 years from now. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. Um, but kind of bringing up the point of should middle schoolers be having phones, you know, in middle school, I personally don't think they should, but there are also like bigger issues now in middle school. Like when I was in middle school, all my friends were vaping <laughs> and I was like, why are you doing that? But, um, and it like, to me, that's a lot worse to your health and your long-term health than being on your phone. And so, um, but like, I guess the, the habitual nature and starting at a young age, definitely like, I don't think kids should, should be using phones at young ages. Um, and there have been studies showing that um, sleep, you know, if you use a, a screen 30 minutes before bed, sleep, your sleep is messed up and you go to bed on average, you know, later than you would regularly. So um, I definitely think that maintaining habits like sleep habits and and um, tech hygiene habits, um, it would be better to have kids not have phones. So yeah. I didn't we didn't let our kids use a computer and mass. All, all the way up to high school. And I remember when the teachers would be, they would assign an assignment and something, and it would involve a computer or looking something up on a computer. And I would tell them, go back to go back to school <laughs> as the Microsoft employee, go back to school and tell them you don't have a computer or you don't have access to a computer. And some of the teachers were like, oh, oh okay. Now I have to think about a way to, to, you know, a different lesson plan because not everybody, like it would check them. And then other teachers would get outraged. They're like, what do you mean you don't give them access to computers? And I'm like, well, I mean, if you want them to go to the library, then you give them a bus pass. You know what I mean? It's like you can't you can't change your expectation just because culture moves along that everybody's going to be at the same pace. And so when we were talking about the teachers, I thought that you know, it's it's good to be. I guess the theme I'm thinking overall with this tech conversation is it's it's good to be able to challenge the norms to make people think about the way it used to be and to and to add that awareness that it's not just commonplace for everybody. You know, we're very privileged in this country 
<laughs> to have, like you go to India or, you know, maybe that's not a good place, but like, you know, anywhere in the center of Africa or, you know, all kinds of places, they don't even have access to any of this. And so it's like, well, what would you do if you got there? And how can you expect those people to, to adopt the same thing that we're doing? Right. That's where my mind kind of goes. Yeah. But here's how ingrained it is in the culture, Todd. Do you know what the schools have done to remedy that exact situation? No. At least in Vermont, it's a one-on-one initiative. Every kid in our school gets a laptop the day they walk through the door. Well, there you go. Right. So- I mean, so, if you if you can fund that, that's great. But I mean, I yeah. think there's still merit in go back and figure out a lesson plan that doesn't involve a computer. You know, me and my friend I, Bill, he always laughs about this, but he'll go to a store like a, I don't know, anywhere they're, anywhere they have computerized, you know, machines for taking your money, which is everywhere now. And he would ask somebody to give them change or he, or he would, he would fumble in his pocket for an amount of change that would make it so they have to think a transaction well, here, I'll give you a quarter. And they wouldn't know what to do. And he always would laugh, like, there's no button for that. Because people would look at him and go, there's no button for giving me five cents more or whatever. And I thought that is so crazy. He's like, but this is what we're adding to because we both worked in tech. And he's like, this is what we're, we're building a, a culture of people who don't use their brain as much as we had to perhaps. But what happens if it falls apart? Then nobody's going to know what to do, right? So I don't know. It's, it's, it's a weird balance. Hmm. Yeah, you mentioned... Um like how uh, people are, you know, using their brains less and less for for stuff like that, and and um, and I think that's gonna be seen again with AI and and this new generation of AI, and how you know we can just have AI write papers for us and and kind of do assignments for our, our school, and it's interesting to see how um, AI is also a tool, but in a different way it's very very powerful and um it's kind of you can't really access it like you can access a phone where you know you have it physically and it's always with you you have to actually be on your phone so i guess kind of seeing how ai is now like a phone or it's maybe it's the next phone for us which is kind of interesting yeah don't get me started on ai (laughs) no no i want to get you started on ai honestly Because I know nothing about it, and all I know, well, I know, I know very little about it. Yeah. But what really sparked my interest, and I shared this with John on the porch the other day, is when you and when I, the other last episode when I asked you about your investment strategy, and you said, "Well, if you want to make some money, invest in AI." And you're like, "Ethically, I don't know how to, how I feel about that and what's going on." And that was like, "Ooh, that could be an episode down the road for you and yeah. I." But um, yeah, so I, yeah, I do want to get you started on AI. Yeah, I don't know. We don't have long enough, but. Here, basically, here's the thing, and I think I've told you this before. When I started getting into computers shortly after my son was born, so 96, 98, probably the same time as you, when I was like, oh, Earthlink and American Online, it was a little bit later than that. I remember thinking, nothing good will come from this because I'm already sitting in front of this thing waiting for the, you know, these ridiculously slow speeds to send me an email or you know to send a picture. It's just exponentially speeding up. And now we're at a point where, and we've talked about this already, and as John you know, hints at, all I have to do is have a portal to ask the computer a question. And now kids are believing what they get back. Like there's no research and there's no ethics, right? So there will be attempts at ethical AI. And I'm sure that that will always be an ongoing thing. But as long as you have the same people who get 20, you know, 15 hours a day on a cell phone, they're going to have a portal to ask AI whatever question they want. And if they, if they haven't been so schooled or they haven't been guided in a way that says, no, you actually need to question that, they'll take the answer as gospel. That's where the things actually become problems because something is, you know, entering the data lake and asking a bunch of questions, it comes back with something that may or may not be true. And then suddenly that gets spouted again. And then it becomes truth through the social media, through that, right? Where the ethics for me come into line are noting what I was talking about was that if if we don't put those guardrails in place before we start monetizing this, like we're already done. I mean, we're making billions of dollars, right? And and the things that I choose to invest in are things that um, will make me money, but that's short-sighted because I'm kind of banking on the downfall as I, you know what I mean? It's like a doomsday bet. It's like, I'm just, you know, and so I don't know. I don't know where it's going to end or, or where I hope it's going to go. I just need to get enough money to get get out and, you know, do my own thing. But um, yeah, I have a hard time with that. And I, and I have a hard time with the ethical part of that. Like in, the, in the Microsoft layoffs, they took in, in complete, complete swaths of AI ethics teams, organizations, and just gutted them as if to say, eh. I don't know. You know, it's making lots of money. We don't have to look at that. And I just think, I just think that's responsible computing. So yeah, I can go for days, but 
I, I, I love hanging out with you. You can I go will. for days anytime you're with me. But drink John, my tea. As, as someone who's kind of entering the workforce now and, and about to take the kind of the, the next step in your life and your journey, what are you thinking about the role that technology is going to play in your life, in your career, AI, any of that? What are you thinking? Yeah. So um, already it's, uh, I've had a couple, I've introduced a couple of teachers to AI. Shout out Miss Halucci if you're listening. Very nice. Um, but uh, I, I was talking to one of my teachers and she's a, she's a French teacher to me. And I was like, oh, you can make these vocab sets so easy with AI. And, and so, you know, as a tool, it's, it's a really powerful tool because you're able to type a prompt like, oh, make, make me a, you know, a list of um, French words about food. And it will make you a list of French words about food and their translation. And um, obviously there's, you know, you have to check that as Todd mentioned, like you have to make sure that everything is factually correct. But um, moving forward, I think AI is going to be a, a, a more predominant part of my life than um, either of yours. But um, I think for me as an engineer, it'll probably be uh, with designing uh, things because as of now, you can do generative AI design for um, different structural parts of of things. And you know, if we want this load on this place, make me the best design for that. So I think it will slowly, you know, ramp up from being oh, we're designing parts and we're designing small things, or the AI is designing small things and and parts of assemblies to AI eventually becoming able to design assemblies. But that's probably twenty or 30 years out from from now and so i don't know what you know my role in society will be by then but um obviously there when when somebody something takes your job there's always jobs to manage that thing or or other jobs to to um you know aid in in um getting money i guess do you think you'll know it when you see it do you think you'll know when ai is capable of taking your your livelihood um i think well I guess if my pay goes down significantly because of this, you know, because of AI or like, you know, I get fired, then obviously it's able to take my job or, or able to do it, um, you know, 90% of what I could do it. And you, you only need one person for every 10 people yeah. to, to make a design that's applicable. But I, I'm not really concerned because I know that people have already shifted through it, like evolution throughout the centuries like people have had to adapt to different nice. things so we're, we're obviously going to be okay because people are fine using computers now for for teaching and people are fine using things in the past for for like the industrial revolution people are fine with making clothes and and um all these commodities that we have now it's just it's just common it's i don't think it will be um too harmful yeah nice it's good out that's a good outlook to but of course it could be yeah, but there's always a chance. It's a red flag for me when the first word of anything is artificial. That, you for mean me, like that's flavoring? We don't do that either. Intelligence, flavoring. Yeah. I was reading something and somebody was predicting that the travel industry is going to have a major shift. Uh, they, they, I don't remember what they said for a time frame, but basically the people are going to be we be willing to pay a premium for authentic experiences. Yeah. So if you think of like going to Disney World where the entire thing is truly every piece of that is fabricated by human hands versus going to a waterfall in Iceland, right? And there's going to be more and more fabricated experiences available to us, many of which we can access without leaving our houses or even without leaving our desk. And um, fewer and fewer options to really experience authentic experiences so that people are going to be seeking true authentic experiences being not fabricated by man i thought that was a really interesting thought yeah this is something i've struggled with when i traveled because i um you mentioned like being in a place you know physically being in a place like it's always more interesting than being you know just looking at it on a screen but when i was in in paris i was like oh there's the eiffel tower it's not that interesting like <laughs> like when I when I actually went up to it, I was like, "Oh, I know all these facts about it. I know what it looks like on the internet. Do I really need to be here?" And like, that's something I think my generation is probably going to have to struggle with, where we can probably put on a VR headset and and go wherever we want to go. But yet again, that also means like 
people who are you know less privileged than me or or anyone in my school can eventually will be able to go wherever they want because of this technology and that probably will have a trickle down and and you get people who are less privileged than me being able to have the resources to be uh, successful and and to get a job and and so I think that um, being able to have this technology is great because we are able to give kids with less less privilege um, like a leg up in like what they can do I guess. Growing up, my father always said to me about money that money makes a good thing better and a bad thing worse. And I think, at least from my perspective, that that can be same for said about technology. There's a lot of wonderful things and positive things that can come from it, but there's also a whole world of damage and trauma that can come from it as well. And people coin me as a fairly positive dude, and I'm grateful for that, but it is my opinion and my perspective, and this is what scares me because I have an eight-year-old in this world, that AI and technology is going to have more of a negative impact in the future than positive. Yeah, but I'm sure that people said that about cars when when everyone was riding horses, you know? Like it's happened over and over again and it doesn't it just changes the way we think about everything. It doesn't really change um our circumstance, I guess. I just feel that to live a purpose and fulfilled life, we need to be we need to be and feel connected. And technology is a hindrance to being and feeling connected. Hmm. Or to just your feeling of connection, right? Because yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, how you can get your old. You're like, hey, that's way too loud. <laughs> many of my students probably feel that they feel more connected to this world because of their, their technology. Yeah, it's yeah, two, two different I, worlds. I think I feel that. Um, because now I recently got Instagram because I wanted to share about our trip. Um, and you know, it's really, I think it's very fun to see what, um, what other people are doing. Um, I have this one friend and, uh, his, his name is Fritz and he posts about his clothes. It makes me really like, it makes me really happy to see him wearing cool clothing and taking cool pictures of his clothing and like him wearing his clothing in different places. And, um, that amount of connection wouldn't be possible for me right now if I was, um, just only able to contact him physically and I can, you know, interact with him. Like I can say hi, like I can compliment his outfits. And, and so I think that, um, it's great. But when we start to just connect to random people that we don't really know from in like, um, out of in person, that's when it becomes, becomes a little bit harmful because, if you have this person that you're idolizing, you eventually will probably spend money on them. You might buy their merch or buy, you know, whatever type of good they're selling. And they're really only making a profit off of you. They, do, they don't care as much about you as you care about them. So it's not really a mutual, you know, relationship. Yeah, it's an attentional transaction, right? Like, ooh, look at me. Here, I'll sell you something. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> now look at this. Yeah. 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 Uh, you have that connection with Fritzy because you know him personally and you've had experiences with him in his presence and therefore the Instagram thing works for you. But if you grew up as a kid that never played with anyone, did school from home, never got to know Fritz in the way that you know him, his post would mean nothing to you and that, would, that wouldn't serve his relationship with you. And that's what I worry about is you have connections and then you can use other forms of technology to enhance those connections. I do the same thing. I don't live where I grew up. So I'm in touch with all my high school buddies, all my college buddies, the place where I went every summer. I'm in touch with all of them every day. And I absolutely love it. I'm so, so grateful that I can text them and contact them in different ways. But if I didn't have those connections as the foundation, that's, that's what I worry about is kids that never get to never get to afford to deep connection with anyone. And now they're using their device to connect with people who they, they don't truly know, at least by my, by, by my definition of no and, and feel valued. And, and, and it's a, it's an artificial feeling of connection. But then again, that's just my bias. That's just my perspective of I'm calling someone else's connection artificial. Yeah. I, I definitely, I, I think it's more nuanced than that because um, one of my friends um, who went on the Morocco trip with us, um, Alex, she has a partner um, who she met online. 
and they met up and they really like each other and they've been dating for like three years and as a high school relationship that's pretty impressive <laughs> but um so i i think i think it, there's but it that's so rare and i definitely agree with you that like you know there's a reason why i'm only following the people i know on instagram like i'm not following any big brands or, or any influencers and um yeah it's it's kind of interesting how some people can do it and she found um that person because of some weird circumstance where you know she was online and she was in a very small niche like music listening group and so it's not necessarily the same as being in a very big pool of people and you're meeting random people so i don't know but i I really don't know how i feel about it because it's kind of safety like if you're going to meet this random person you don't want them to be a a 42 year old and in boxer briefs like with pizza in their hands and downstairs you know so uh i heard this just yesterday on the radio my boy john tesh said (laughs) fact two-thirds of people on dating apps are in relationships including marriage so he was just like, hey, just let everybody know who's on these dating apps, giving you a heads up. If you're single and you're looking for someone who's single, two-thirds of the people that you might connect with are in a relationship and quite possibly married. Just giving you a heads up on that. thought that was interesting. Wow. Uh, yep. You got to get John Tash on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer John C. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you... I just, this is something I could go on for hours, um, and, and I am – pretty passionate about I, I just worry that we're losing human connection and that human connection is the fabric of what makes us human I, I just get nervous about it but I also am as you both know putting a lot of time and attention into what it is that I have a control over and what I don't and I've come I've come to accept that you know this technology thing is it's here and and, <laughs> and I just have to navigate it the whole basis of this entire podcast right navigating struggle and I just have to navigate it with what I have control over and and I'm okay with it. I'm not resisting it. Uh, I'm not interested in a lot of it, and a lot of it scares the crap out of me. But like, I I fully accept it, and I'm cool with doing the best I can to navigate it. But I am scared as a parent. Yeah, I I agree. I think that it's very you know it it, it is scary. But if we if we didn't have this sense for connection, then that would be the worst because if you think about it we're always going to find what we need like i think it's intrinsic to stay connected with people and unfortunately when you try to find connections online um or you know the the higher suicide rates in in younger people because of technology like that's something i struggle with because if you're trying to find connections online and that's all you do i I don't know if that's good for you but people find what they need eventually so yeah. I agree. I like that you agree. Hey, thanks. <laughs> I violently agree. How about that? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Ready to go to war for you. It's an angry opinions. yes. <laughs> Forgive me if I shared this in a past episode, but I think this is fascinating that um, these are studies out of Ireland starting in 2012 when over 50% of high schoolers had smartphones. Um they started to see some statistics changing physical episodes such as car accidents, fights, um, different stuff that kids get into in high school in the rebellious years. Statistics of those started to drop with more than half the high school students having smartphones. And what started to go up was reportings of anxiety, depression, stress, and these types of things. And I think that's a really interesting thing. So what I extrapolate from that is kids are going out less and doing physical things, less parties in the woods, less driving fast, less having physical altercations with one another because they're in the same place and more time maybe at home on their screens, comparing themselves to other people's lives and, and, and developing a higher level of anxiety, stress, depression, and, and these types of things. And I, and I see it every day in high school. I see it every single day. Uh, we'll hire a new mental health clinician and they will be booked up in a week for the rest of the year. Just like my dad said, I think a lot a lot of good can be gained from this and it's my role to use technology in a way that can positively enhance my community. Yeah. And I think this podcast is a great example of that if it were not for technology, Todd and I would not have a friendship. 
Yeah. And not only now do we have a friendship, we host this podcast and the entire premise of this podcast is I want to be able to continue to be the teacher of kids who are in my class that are no longer in the school. And now they can access me once a week through this podcast. And that's all based on technology. So I'm a hypocrite in many, many ways because I am accessing it uh, for a better something. And I'm, and I'm, also pooping on it often and i just need to be aware that i am a hypocrite and i need to do the best i can with it yeah and i definitely also see it as a as a tool mainly for me because um i've recently torn my acl and i'm able to you know go into wormholes about different topics that i might want to be interested in like um, working on a cruise ship or you know how how things are built or the architecture of chicago and i'm able to do the, all this stuff because i um, can look people up on youtube and i can you know watch informational videos about whatever i want so i think it's a it's a great repository for knowledge and will continue to be um you know a, a great resource for the people who want to use it as a resource so yeah it'd be a great future episode name the last three wormholes you went down <laughs> i've i've gone on some really good ones recently yeah summer vacation too. what you got t-rex i think that it all goes around awareness i think that that's a key that's a key tenant and i think i think like john said people are going to find connection that serves them to the best of their ability and just because if I back up out of it, just because I think it's awkward and I think it's unethical in many ways doesn't mean that my opinion is that of anybody but my own. So I'm, I'm willing to have the awareness myself to know that that's probably not right or or it's not right. So uh, yeah, but I think as long as we can um, you know, find people like you who, who are able to teach and willing to do so, areas where you see deficiencies or, or maybe not deficiencies, but... Um, areas where people could grow or maybe become more aware. I think that that's, I think that'll always be a perpetual way forward. So I think it's good. Cool. Well, thank you both for your time. John C. Thank you so much for yeah, coming nice on. Nice to meet you, John. No problem. John C. has been listening uh, with open ears since the very first episode and he would come in and chat with me about um, the episode and give me feedback on ways that we could be better Todd. And uh, I'm super, super grateful for that. Sweet. John, as you repair repair as you recover from ACL repair and you get ready to embrace moving out of the house and moving to college. We wish you the very best. We're psyched to know that you'll still be listening from afar and we want to thank you so much for your, your time, your energy and your thoughts tonight. It's awesome. Yeah. Thank you very much. On behalf of the School in Struggle podcast, if you have any feedback, ideas, thoughts, perspectives that you'd like to share with us, schoolingstruggle.gmail.com is the best way to contact us. To all the listeners out there, our family of School in Struggle podcast listeners, we appreciate your ears. We thank you so very much for your time. We are incredibly grateful for your attention. We are out. See ya. See ya.